almost forgot Jake's question. I'm glad I thought of it. I was like, where is the La Liga love in here? (laughs) Mika's like, (laughs) I've been fucking waiting to talk about La Liga, and now y'all motherfuckers (laughs) don't want to say shit. Hey everyone, welcome to Hardcore Football, an intense look at the world's game by two passionate Americans. I'm your host, Phil Baki, and I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Mika Burrell. Mika, how's it going? It's going well. How are you, Ben? Doing okay. Um, We're we're preparing here in the Northwest Ohio region for winter storm whatever the fuck. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, we're anticipating between like midday tomorrow or like morning tomorrow and, and morning of Friday, like up to like two feet of accumulation of snow. So. And yet the United States is playing a match in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. F. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. USSF, uh, yeah, they they really know they really know their USSF their way around. In the chats. <laughs> yeah, wow, man. Well, stay safe. I hope you don't have to like venture out. Can you work remotely? Yeah, yeah. We've actually okay. put a put a nice little plan in place. Um, I for for those who don't know, it, I'm not going to get in depth about it, but I work in healthcare, and we've been able to like work our patient schedule around uh around the storm um so we're we're actually <laughs> able to like keep a bunch of the facilities closed like through the worst of the storm and um while still getting everybody like what they need so um so yeah it, I, we we planned ahead which i feel i feel good about because this time last year we had a similar storm, but it kind of snuck up on us and I ended up driving a nurse to a clinic in my fucking accord in like two feet of snow. Um, <laughs> it was, it was pretty lit. Damn. So that, yeah. <laughs> wow. I don't miss that man. Having gone to school in Michigan, I do not miss that. And yeah. then they, they expect you to get on with your life, which is like the crazy part. Mm-hmm. Like, nah, I can't. Yeah. Well, and then people so. in this part of the country will turn around and like point at whatever Virginia for the highways being shut down and be like, not prepared for the winter. And then like there will be a thousand people who crash their cars like over the next two <laughs> days, like it, on this like one stretch of road. So, yeah, it whatever. Northerners are annoying. I say that as a northerner. Oh, yeah. So who right. only right. resided in the south for, you know, close to a decade. So, um. <laughs> Is El Paso going to be hit by? <laughs> Apparently there is going to be snow on Thursday. And I already told okay. like work, I'm like, I'm going to be remote. And you know, it's going to be like two snowflakes, but that's enough for like peril here. <laughs> so I'm not even going to risk it. So yeah, not nearly as much as, as what y'all are going to get, but supposedly some. <laughs> so um, with all that being said, uh, welcome everybody to the show. Hopefully, um, if you're finding hardcore football for the first time, hopefully you can, uh, find us on Twitter as well at HXC football, and you can check out the pod, um, on any of your favorite podcast platforms, um, subscribe, rate, review, whatever the platform allows. We really appreciate that. Um, we're back after a little bit of a, of a layoff meek and talking about the winter weather and the U S men's national team. Uh, they, they've descended back south of the border um after a little bit of a humbling at the hands of of canada um 
two nil loss for the U S and, and despite, um, still sitting second via the, uh, the goodwill of Mexico, um, not getting the job done against Costa Rica. Um, we are, the vibe is kind of harshing, uh, against, Mm. against Burhalter again. And it feels like, I mean, the U S just a point away from that fourth place playoff spot. Um, and, uh, into a game in what's probably going to be tough conditions in St. in well, St. Paul, Minneapolis, whichever, whichever of the twin cities, uh, they have to play in. Yeah, man. It's, uh, listen, fair play to Canada. They have not lost, I think in this qualifying round. So, you know, they were in good form. They were at home. Um, you know, very on a very narrow pitch, uh, but you know, no excuses, whatever. Um, and yet, you know, you and I joked on a very narrow pitch, they still managed to force all the play wide and seemed totally unbothered by what the United States was trying to do to do, having, you know, had the majority of possession really, um, save for that McKenney header, which was, you know, saved uh, point blank by the, by the Canada goalkeeper in his yeah. pants. <laughs> um, but uh yeah no some of the defenders just had a torrid time against the likes of collar and jonathan david what have you this canada team is is really good um you know one of those teams i think is more than the sum of their parts if you will and um a really good coach as well yeah um and and they're on the up and up and this was a alfonso davies list team as well so yeah um yeah just back to the drawing board for the united states and and you know even though we're going to be at home next time against Honduras, like that just a game in Minnesota in February just doesn't make a lick of sense to me, but whatever. (laughs) There's a, I, there's a whole, like there's this myth of the, the snow game, um, in, in Denver against Costa Rica. I believe it was, um, that like helped the U S qualify for the Mm. 2014 world cup. Um, it was a one nil totally scrappy game. And I think like the U S took away from that, the wrong like lesson, which was if we have any sort of like, I would say that the U S has a tactic or I would say technical advantage over most of the teams in North America at this point, um, where our players are actually good. Like we don't need these like messy sort of like scrappy or like, shit housey like things we actually need to be the team like that tries to play football um yeah and so we learn like the wrong lesson from the snow game which is like oh central american teams like cope in the snow it's like no like our guys need to be able to like play football um and if they're not able to right. do that because it's fro the pitch is frozen solid and like there's snow accumulating or or whatever visibility is bad like then I think it actually puts us at a disadvantage because I think our, our neighbors would rely on making the game more messy. Um, right. And yeah, no, that's a great point. So yeah, I think it's just a weird move from the Federation and like not. Yeah. The, this game against Canada, like you, you mentioned the pitch, I think Canada somehow managed to make the pitch feel extremely narrow when the U S was attacking and extremely wide when they were attacking, when they were counterattacking. Um, and, uh, yeah, like the, like you said, a well, well managed, um, team with some really good individuals as well. But the, the players that 
made the mark in this one were not the big names. Um, like it wasn't the likes of Jonathan David and, and, uh, and Alfonso Davies. Um, Alfonso Davies was doing amateur commentary on Twitch the whole time. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, I think you could see from the reaction after the second Canada goal that this is a Canadian team that is extremely together, like extremely with their coach behind their coach. And I think it, like stood in stark contrast to the fact that the U S has never felt that cohesive under Burhalter continues to feel like a little bit disjointed and like out. They, they ran out of ideas against what was a, a compact and, and good, well-organized Canadian team, um, which also had loads of quality on the counter. And uh, yeah. And then junior Hoylet of all people um, went and, diced up Kellen Acosta down the wing and nearly set up the second before the eventual second. I don't know if you saw that run by junior Hoylet, but <laughs> rolled it back the years. More, yeah. I thought yeah, he was yeah. at, on Blackburn again. Her QPR. Or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, one so. of those results we got to just put behind us, but yeah, fair play to Canada. Yeah. The U S can turn things around, obviously if they take care of business against Honduras, but I think we've kind of made things hard on ourselves and we've, we've made it interesting here. Cause, um, I think, uh, who is it in fourth Panama, I think is that sounds right. Um, is only a point behind the U S and Mexico who are tied in second, I think, um, on 18 points, Canada's like clear at the top. So yeah, I see. Yep. Looking at standings now, Oof. Mexico did us a little bit of favor, but yeah, yeah. Panama managed to pull it out over Jamaica, who I think are doomed already. No. Yeah. That was a really good result for Panama too. Um, And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, things are kind of balanced on a knife edge right now. Obviously the U S could still come out of this comfortably, but um, they're, they're making it interesting uh, with just a few games left in the, the octagonal. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Speaking of internationals, but throwing it, throwing it across the Atlantic over to, to Africa, where the AFCONs are, are into the, the business end. We've got the semifinals um, coming uh, tomorrow and, uh, and Thursday. Um, Senegal plays tomorrow against Burkina Faso and Cameroon, Egypt uh, on Thursday still the dream the dreams of of liverpool fans of a senegal egypt final are are still well and alive i don't know if that's actually a dream because it means well, they lasted say, the whole you, tournament but who, well <laughs> yes practically speaking yes but also like who do you i guess you have to pick the player you like more i don't know jeez but um Just yeah no that i can't believe we're already here to like the semifinal stage I'm looking back at my bracket and uh, Ghana and Algeria absolutely mudded. Like I had them <laughs> going to the semifinal um, and it was not to be. I do have Senegal in the semifinal at least. And I have Cameroon winning it all at home. So okay. I'm still sticking to that. I'm hoping Cameroon can pull it through and, and, and do it, um, you know, for for all the people back home. But uh yeah, I don't know. Who do you who do you think who do you who do you have in your bracket? Yeah, it's actually going to transpire. So um, my bracket is still possible um, if I'm if I'm or actually I think my bracket might not be. Yeah, so 
just the way things played out, I had the way I had my bracket picked. I had Egypt and Senegal meeting in the semis um, and Cameroon and Algeria in the other semi. So Algeria, obviously rough one. Um, Cameroon, though, still with a chance of making it to the final. But uh, my final was Cameroon, Egypt. So it's not um, not possible anymore. But I have Egypt winning the whole thing um, in my bracket. So I guess I got to pull. I got to pull for the Pharaohs and, and Mo Salah to, to pull out the, the continental victory. Yeah. Either, I mean, either way, all these games are going to be fabulous. Um, and it's been a fun tournament, um, yeah. except for obviously the, the tragedy of the stadium that, that kind of put a damper on it with the, for sure with the crush, Ugh, it's just terrible. But yeah. otherwise I think it's been, been really good. Um, and like I said, flown by. Yeah. No, it really has. And I think with the, with the international break, it's, it's helped out too, because I, I think a lot of people were worried about their players, you know, missing important club fixtures, but in the end, it hasn't felt that disruptive to be quite honest, like to the, to the club, um, schedule. So, um, well, Mika, the real reason that we're here today is to talk about the January transfer window, which just slammed shut. Um, <laughs> it always slams. It, it, yeah. It never no. just like closes politely. It no. slams, right? <laughs> it's never, it's never gently closed. It, it slams shut. Um, <laughs> so we're doing a roundup of, of the January transfer window and we've got a couple of big ones to talk about up front, but I, I wanted to, to thank the listeners who sent in questions first and foremost, cause we got a, a bunch of questions, which will do really well to like guide our conversation today. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, thank you guys for, for sending those in. Cause we're, we're consistently blown away that anyone cares enough to ask um, so truly, <laughs> <laughs> so thank, thank you for you. humoring us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, we got to start probably with the, the blockbuster move. If you, if you had to, to pick one, this, this window, and that is, uh, Dusan Vlahovic, uh, moving from Fiorentina to Juventus. Um, Mika, I mean, this was this was a player who was linked with a, a number of clubs abroad. Um, Juve, I guess, wasn't really in the picture necessarily, like or concretely, until it seemed like the move was done. Um, what do you what do you make of this move? I guess first and foremost, and and secondly, like what's with this what's with this Fiorentina feeder club to Juve thing? I don't know, man. Rocco Camiso has the fans irate, I think, at this point with all of the sale- sales that they've done with Juventus, who are, you know, a huge rival. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this goes all the way back to Baggio, I think. So it's not just Camiso who's laid the groundwork for that. But um, yeah. on, on Vlahovic himself, I mean, yeah, he moves to, to Juventus ultimately for, I think it was six, so 62.5 million pounds. So, you know, a, a pretty penny. Um, and, and fair enough, because he's been absolutely prolific uh, in Serie A for, for you know, a season and a half now. Um, and I think this is a, obviously a really good move for Juventus. I think it will help them secure top four, which is a weird sentence to even say, because, you know, they've won, you know previously won nine straight Scudetti, and right now they're just trying to get back into the Champions League places. So I think this will do that. Um 
Juventus have so many options now um, and just have added Vlahovic to that. They've, you know, had some some players leave as well, but um, I think this is really good business by them. I'm surprised they were able to get it done in January, but maybe they've paid a bit of a premium for that. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, Arsenal were interested. Um, and I think... I, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying. Like, I think, obviously, you know, football Twitter and what have you are going to, like, take the piss out of Arsenal for ultimately not getting the player. But, I mean, Arsenal, you know, what's wrong with Arsenal going for a player like that? I think it was up to the player. I think he wanted to join Juventus, and yeah. that's fine. Um, and, and ultimately, he did do. So, yeah, um, I think it'll definitely be a game changer for Juventus in terms of just getting, you know, Champions League secured. Um, he you know, probably will settle quite quickly. He's still in the same league. Um, and he's, he's at the club that he wants to be at ultimately. So, um, looking forward to seeing how that, that works. Cause, um, you know, Max Allegri has been in for some criticism this season of playing some pretty, uh, pedestrian stuff. So I want to see how he uses a, a, a forward, like, like Vlahovic. So, yeah, you mentioned the, relationship with the fans at Fiorentina um the sign that went up <laughs> at the training ground or <laughs> what hunchback of shit or what was <laughs> yeah they you know there were some signs that were like not even worth repeating because they're awful but this yeah. one said yeah like something along the lines of Gobo di Merda which like a, a Gobo is a, a slang term for a Juventus fan or player um something about them always getting their way, like mm, <laughs> something yeah. like that. But anyway, the, the literal translation, like just absolutely floored me. <laughs> like, um, and someone had to remind me like, no, Gobo is like a, a Juventus fan, but yeah, yeah. Gobo be mad for that. Like, <laughs> uh, that just, that gave me a good laugh, but yeah, the Fiorentina fans, man, are not happy. Um, and I, I don't blame him. I mean, this is your star player running down his contract. Yeah. Uh, you know, refusing to sign a new one. Um, and again, like Chiesa, like Bernadeschi before him going to Juventus, like it, that, that would piss me off too. If I was a Fiorentina fan. Yeah. And the, um, the added, like the added angle to this is that, Fiorentina Fiorentina are six points from Juve in the table and like in touching distance of Europe. Um, And now they're, you know, their star striker is, is off to a direct rival. Like, and Fiorentina being rivals of Juve would not be, that would have been an almost comical thing a couple of years ago. um, Right. If you said that, but the reality is they're competing for the same the same European spots right now. Um, yeah. Juve obviously aiming a little bit higher, but um, they've been, they've, they've been inconsistent this year. Um, yeah. The, ad, the added thing of this is now Fiorentina's um, hierarchy is like mm. out at Vlahovic, Vlahovic as well. And his agents um, for being liars, they've said that yeah. like, basically they, had a conversation in November where it seemed like it seemed like he was going to renew his contract and like they had good conversations around potentially renewing just to protect their investment and, you know, like him to move elsewhere. But, um, they, they did a one eighty on that. Um, and 
I guess the president of Fiorentina had traveled to England a, a handful of times to negotiate a sale to like the likes of, of Arsenal or Tottenham who were, who were in for him. Um, and each time Vlahovic like blocked the move basically. Um, so yeah, uh, like it, it's, it's rare when a player is, I guess, so overt in like their intentions and forcing a move like against the club's wishes um right but this is pretty cut and dried so yeah and you don't often see like the hierarchy of a club you know attacking a player so publicly um for a right. move so yeah this one's it's not great uh in terms of Vlahovic's like broader um reputation um but i don't know it, it he <laughs> <laughs> he kind of took a page out of Harry Kane's book, but it worked this time, I but guess. It, yeah, but he actually had the leverage, <laughs> unlike Kane, who signed like a 20 year deal. So, oof. Yeah. I'm trying yeah. to see if Juve. So, Juve played Fiorentina on the last day of the season at the Artemio Franchi. Oh, my God. Yes, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be fantastic. Oh, what a way to cap off what has already been a great season in Serie A. Um, right. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. I look for I will look forward to that already. Yeah, for sure. I pray that Fiorentina is within, like, within... I, I doubt it because they've lost, obviously, their best <laughs> their best goal scorer, but I just pray that they're able to if there's any shot that they could overtake UV on the last day, that would be. Yeah. Well, they did, they did replace him with Arthur Cabral, who mm-hmm. is, has been quite prolific in the Swiss league. I've not, I'm not seen him play a minute, but he, he yeah. was one that Arsenal were linked with as well, actually. So hopefully he hits the ground running and has the Fiorentina faithful forgetting about Vlahovic quickly. So yeah. <laughs> 2024 Cabral moves to UV. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. Um, well, I mean, not to not to pick on because I know the Vlahovic uh, like linked with Arsenal. Now we move on to Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. Long this long kind of back and forth saga. Him and Arteta like not seeing eye to eye. Aubameyang frozen out at the club. Doesn't travel with the club to their winter training camp. Um, having been knocked out of AFCON um, in, with Gabon and um, now fully officially out at Arsenal and he is a Barca player official, officially. Um, what do you, what'd you make of this? I guess the whole kind of Aubameyang story because he's been at Arsenal now a long time. Yeah. And to to leave kind of unceremoniously in January, it feels, it feels a little... Um, odd I guess for a player with with a decent tenure at the club yeah yeah I mean the way he went is the way he came actually because on Facebook memories it it posted it showed me three years ago to the day sh- like um sharing the announcement video <laughs> which was probably our best announcement video of all time to be fair um but 
Yeah, it's just it's really a shame how it ended. Um, like you said, you know, he fell out pretty spectacularly with Mikel Arteta and, and with the club, I guess you could say. Um, you know, in, in terms of straight up dollars and cents, I mean, Arsenal are, are saving a massive amount of wages, almost 30 million pounds of wages because he was on a ridiculous contract and was, you know, seemingly not living up to those standards uh, in terms of goal scoring. Um he was never going to start or play for Arsenal again, um, so I, I understand it in that sense. Moving him on, moving him on for free hurts, but again, the save you know saving the wages is, is fine, I guess. But now the squad is extremely thin um, for the run in. Um, granted, that run in is just Premier League games now. It's just seventeen matches. We're out of the all of the cups, <laughs> pretty much back to back. So yeah, it's, sorry it's about a that. Risk. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, Saws. Uh, yeah. It's a, it is what it is. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, the, the squad's extremely thin now. And, you know, on one hand, I'm okay with the calling of Deadwood, if you will, if, if the plan is to spend big again in the summer. But as we know, injuries and, and COVID can strike at any time. So it's kind of, you know, Arsenal have really bet big on the the core of the squad who to be fair have been the ones that have got us into this position to maybe make the champions league but it's it's a it's a risk um but you know as for obama the person though i really hope that he does well at barca because he's had like a terrible past like year i mean he got malaria he got covid twice his mom's been sick you know fell out with the, the manager just all kinds of stuff that are you know maybe some of his own doing and some definitely not so um, you know, new pastures for him was was definitely good just as as a person, I think. The this for me though, also I'm <laughs> just I'm so blown away by Barca's situation, I guess, in general, but their strategy, I guess. Yeah. I they have now brought in Ferran Torres, Adama Traore on loan, and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, in addition to the fact that they signed, you know, Danny Alves back on a free. And um, I'm just, I'm just not getting like what they're trying to do. Like he's brought in now. Ferran Torres is a winger. Adama Traore is like a pure winger. Um, Aubameyang is a, a typically like can obviously play as a striker, but drifts into wide areas um like kind of naturally as part of his as part of his game and i just don't really get like what barca is like what is javi like think he's getting Mm -hmm. with all of these kind of like disparate pieces i just don't i i don't know it's just like a really it just seems so disjointed right now at barca yeah i i on top of the money that they're spending, too, I mean, the outlay for Fernando Torres was significant. Yeah. I think Oba's on actually quite um, reasonable wages, so fair play to them for that. But, um, <laughs> you know, you hear that this club is in, you know, on the brink of, like, receivership. They have to let <laughs> Lionel Messi, the greatest player of all time, go on a free, and then you see them, you know, shelling out these these types of amounts, and it's just kind of... You know, like you said, yeah. the tactical and the technical doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but neither does the financial picture. So I, I don't know what to think of Barcelona anymore. It's, it'll be interesting to see how, how Xavi makes it all fit. But, um, 
yeah, that's that's a lot of egos too. <laughs> yeah, mean, a lot of competition <laughs> for you know x amount of of places. Not yeah. to mention the Usman Dembele thing is still like rumbling in the background. So and yikes, he right as the I guess right as the window closed, Barca basically told him he was free to leave. Um, like they would just Jeez. terminate his contract if he wanted. Um, and he said no, which I mean, I think throughout this, like they've gone to Dembele and they've, they've done this whole like thing with a lot of their players, PK and, and others of basically like <laughs> guilting them into like, letting them out of jail in terms of the bad financial decisions that they've made. Um, and Dembele like saying no, like he doesn't owe Barca shit. Like he doesn't owe them anything. And so them being like, Hey, you should, you know, you should take a pay cut or you should like leave on a free and just like, let us, you know, let us out of your contract. He's like, I mean, you signed it. Like you offered it to me. Like why the fuck would I leave without like an actual destination? makes no sense. So sure. I don't like, sure. I know some Barca fans probably hold it against Dembele for not like being a team player. But the reality is like Barca has done nothing to like foster Dembele since he's gotten there. Um, and I would, I mean, if I were him, I would bleed them for everything they're worth before I left. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I got it. Okay. You're, you're pro Dembele. I got you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, the the contract was offered to him, and he's he's got every right to see it out. Um, I mean, on the flip side, though, I don't necessarily know that Usman has put his best foot forward at Barca sure. in terms of being a professional and and taking care of himself, yeah. making it to training on time. Um, and you know, some of these things even cropped up at Dortmund, um, and especially with the way that he forced himself out. So. It's it's a shame because I think he can be one of the best players in the world, but mm-hmm. um, he has to want to be one of the best players in the world. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll never fault a player if their body is just not agreeing with them. You know, sure. the injuries are. You know, we don't know if they're truly like things that he could prevent or not. But um, yeah, it just has not worked out there. And hopefully, they find a solution that that suits all parties. But <laughs> won't be this window. No. <laughs> His. Uh... Yeah, you like you said, his first season at Dortmund, I remember thinking, like, this is the guy. Like, this is the next. I was like, oh, like, it's going to be him and Mbappe, like, head to head. Genuinely. Like, <laughs> I'd, I'd never seen a player, like, that two-footed, that productive, at that young of an age. I was like, there's, like, he's going to be one of the best, like, bar yeah. none. And, yeah. Yeah, I think unfortunately we'll we'll just never know. There's an alternate reality out there where he probably already has a like young player of the year and and like Ballon d'Or type like credentials. Um but right. we'll never know. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not too late, but yeah, I don't know if he'll ever reach those heights. He can still be an elite player, but um yeah, he needs to find a solution. Yeah. So Barca, we'll see what the uh, <laughs> what the moves look like, and I I relish what their first lineup looks like now with these new signings. Like, what the hell is Xavi going to put out there? <laughs> to play a front four, yeah, <laughs> just meme oh, tactics. <laughs> well, shall we get on to the listener questions? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so we got one from at Ebow twenty seven Eric Bauer. What's up, Eric? Thanks for the question. He says, 
So that Mike can get a good laugh in, can you talk about Tottenham's transfer window with them being rejected by a non-league player and losing out on Luis Diaz? So Luis Diaz obviously <laughs> joining Liverpool. Yeah. Appreciate the Tottenham banter, but uh, Phil, thoughts on Tottenham's window and and you know maybe we can even talk Luis. Yeah. Yeah, we can. I guess starting with starting with how Tottenham's window went. Um, I mean. <laughs> Tottenham's window is as much about the outs as the ins, I think, um, mm. in in this case, because with Ndombele out on loan back to his the club that Tottenham bought him from, Deli Alley off on a free, um, Brian Heal back to back to Spain um, with uh, with with Valencia, Gio, Gio Celso to Villarreal. Um, lot of potential like I almost think of it as like whatever science you know like middle school science class like potential energy and kinetic energy or whatever like the potential in that departure like in that out category was so high like between Ndombele, Deli Alley like there's so much potential there and the fact that it hasn't worked out is like I think it's an indictment of how the club's been run since the departure of, of Pochettino. Um, not that, not that any of these players is necessarily like, again, like, you know, you could argue back and forth about how much is on the player, how much is on the managers that have been there, how much is on the fact that there's been multiple managers, um, and kind of like a disjointed approach since, since Pochettino's departure. Um, so that's like, the negative of the window. I think on top of that, obviously they had very public interest in Luis Diaz, um, which anytime that you have that sort of public interest and you don't see it through, that is always a sort of a blow to the club. And I think I, when I think back to Liverpool under Brendan Rogers, they love to do this shit. Um, <laughs> and it, it it was a negative like it was a big negative amongst because it creates all of the this hope and and like expectation um amongst the fans and then when you come up short it's like it, it was the same conversation that we had like earlier this year about manager targets where it's like mm-hmm. just shut the fuck up just don't yeah, talk there, about it <laughs> little to no benefit of publicly yeah. Announcing your plans, which I don't think Spurs did, but maybe they just need to get a lock on some of their leaks. I yeah. Don't know. <laughs> yeah. They need to, <laughs> whatever. They need their mouthpiece journalist at the athletic to just like clam up for a little <laughs> bit. Um, so, but they did have a couple of ins. Um, and Bentoncourt and Kulisevsky, like both come in from Juve ostensibly. Um, and, I think, I mean, we were talking before we started recording and it's one of those things where you're like, okay, how much of this is Conte just like knowing the people around the club and knowing like, cause for those to be the two ins, like those are the two pieces of business that got concluded. It's like, is, are these players that Conte sees as like really integral to the way that he wants to play? Or are these like the pieces that he could get his hands on because he has like, those contacts around the club. Um, right. So I think well, you, that's yeah. the worry for Tottenham is like, are they recruiting 
really like worldwide or is this like Paratici Conte like thing driving uh, it, like is it a purely contacts based transfer system for for Tottenham right yeah it's it, yeah like we spoke before we started recording it's kind of unimaginative but I mean when you look at the players I mean these are two good players Rodrigo yeah. Bentoncourt who um you know Uruguayan midfielder very hardworking. Um, maybe hasn't exactly worked out at Juventus the way he would have hoped, but was really good at River Plate. Kulishevsky, who who's really versatile, uh, wide player. I think has even played up front at some at some points. But, yeah, you know, creative things that you know Tottenham need. They need quality in the middle of the park and and someone to help with the the creative and goal scoring burden. You know, of Son and Kane who typically handle that mantle. Yeah. So I see the sense in that, but yeah, I do have to kind of concur there in that I don't know how creative they're being with the scouting necessarily. Um, but it's January at the same time. Like, I, I yeah, their, their window might look completely different in the summer. So, um, Kulishevsky as well, like his, his emergence into importance at UVA under Pirlo. I honestly thought that he was there to stay in terms of like mm-hmm. the amount of game time he was getting. He was, scoring goals he was you know enjoying himself under Pirlo and I think it just shows how quickly things can change um when managers change and um and in this case it's pretty clear that he fell out of favor like pretty much immediately um when Allegri came back in and they they looked for the the opportunity to to offload him um so yeah he moves on loan to tottenham i think there's an option to buy on this one um Uh, yeah Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's a you know they always talk about the like mandatory buy (laughs) clause versus the the optional but i think it is an option in this case for tottenham um but yeah i mean and both signings like under 25 like ben benton is only 24 and kulishevsky's 21 so good youth, like good potential for the, for the future as well. So I think the, the signings were decent. Um, I think the outs just speak to what could have been at Tottenham and um, kind of their decline since, since Pochettino left the non-league player. Did you see the, did you see this whole, this whole thing play out with the Lewis, Lewis FC, I think something like that i don't even know like somewhere <laughs> way down the, the the pyramid um i guess he did not like the personal terms that were being offered um and that's so funny and people are like oh it's because he's arsenal through and through which i have no clue if that's <laughs> real or not but i mean that is pretty you know we don't know what the what the, the situation is but just that on the face of it is really like embarrassing like oh, i wouldn't want that to come out about my club so <laughs> yeah, Ali Tanner of Lewis Lewis FC. Um they are in the seventh tier of oh, English wow. football. And the fact that <laughs> the fact that he turned them down o- over personal terms when he's definitely not being paid to play in the se- <laughs> like in the seventh tier. Like how bad were they? Like <laughs> surely not. Like <laughs> this man probably doesn't even play football full time. Um Tottenham believed Tanner's financial demands were excessive given he could he would not be going into the first team. Um, dead. <laughs> they had wow. agreed Lewis had agreed a hundred thousand pound fee, which I mean that's like life changing money at non league level. Um hell yeah. 
Wow. wow. Yeah. That's like years of operation. Um, well, I guess like, I guess the last, <laughs> the last thing I'll say on this is the Luis Diaz transfer to Liverpool. Ultimately, this was, yep. I do want to say like that this was a player that had been linked to Liverpool much like way before the transfer window even opened. And then the, it seemed like things kind of cooled down and Tottenham's interest sort of bubbled to the top in, in the news. Um, but I think, I think Liverpool recently and, and Julian Ward now handling the, what Michael Edwards had been handling. Um, I think they, you know, operate similarly in that they do business and they do it for the most part, like quietly now. Um, so yeah, I think, I think they probably maybe maybe there was like a little bit of urgency around around Diaz once once Tottenham were in for him. Um, but I don't know that in the places where the clubs are now, I think Liverpool's always well placed to land a target like over the likes of of Tottenham. So um and that's just, you know, it happened like I said, it happened to Liverpool like all the time where like Willian is my favorite example of William was at Angers in Russia. Liverpool agreed a deal with him. He flew to London to do a medical with Liverpool, but ended up actually agreeing terms with Spurs. And then before he could complete his medical at Spurs, Chelsea actually signed him and he, yeah, he ended up at Chelsea. (laughs) Um, So Anyways, uh, that that sort of like poaching happened all the time. Um, so now Liverpool being the team that can like pull those deals off, I'm I'm very happy. Diaz coming from Portugal, it's always a little bit of an unknown, like how quickly someone will adapt to life in the Premier League. I think the upside for Diaz is that he doesn't have to be the guy. Um, like right off the bat, he has he plays the same position as Sadio Mane. Diogo Jota's played in that position as well. Um, so he's got time to to bet in, get used to the pace um, and get hopefully some game time. I think Klopp has a good track record of getting more out of his wide attackers than they've previously produced. And Diaz's numbers in Portugal are ridiculous. He's got 19 goal involvements in 18 matches in the in the Portuguese first division this year. So. Yeah, I I feel really good about the transfer. I think it's good value too. They got him for like thirty million pounds, um, and uh, I think he's exactly the sort of like understudy to Sadio Mane and potential successor um, that that they were looking for. Yeah, I I really like this this deal as well, and I I really like the player and his story. I mean, it's an incredible story growing up in in the north of Colombia in the, the Caribbean region. He's of native YU ancestry, so like a native Colombian. Um, and actually, before he was signed by Atletico Junior, which is like the club in, in northern Colombia, in, in Barranquilla, he was actually malnourished. Like they had to actually like get some, you know, get him to like eat more and all this wow. stuff. Like he was, you know, that was the thing that Scouts always said about him is he was he was very skinny. Um and so really just like a rags to riches story, like uh, like a lot of stories you see coming out of South America. But it's just really cool to see how far he's come. And, you know, he was joint top scorer at Copa America with with Lionel Messi scored that insane bicycle kick. Yeah. 
um, you know, just more South American flair on, on Merseyside is never a bad thing. So, um, yeah, and it's, and it's a really good deal, like financially. And, um, yeah, I really like this move and I like the player. So fair play to Liverpool. Well, Eric asks another question. Um, and speaking of adding South American flair, uh, Eric asks, can you talk about, uh, Julian Alvarez to Man City? As somebody who has seen exactly zero minutes of River Plate, I'm not sure what Man City is getting in Alvarez. So, Mika, can you can you talk a little bit about about uh, Alvarez and what he brings to the Sky Blues? Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I've seen a little bit more than zero minutes of River Plate, but I'm by no means a, a, a River Plate expert. But I have watched a little bit of them, and um, Julian Alvarez is is an incredible player. He can play as a striker. He can play out wide. His numbers in 2021 have been, you know, were ridiculous. 26 goals, 17 assists in all competitions. River Plate won everything, you know. Yeah. Like they, I mean, Marcelo Gachado has, has that team just absolutely humming. Um, he's, you know, diminutive, but very quick, powerful. He's willing to facilitate the play, but also to defend. So, I mean, it's hard not to draw comparisons with, a certain Sergio Aguero, um, you know, not exactly the same player, but definitely of that ilk. Uh, and it makes a whole ton of sense that Manchester city have gone for him and, and, uh, you know, as a Ferran Torres replacement, but maybe just as a Sergio Aguero replacement as well. Um, I think he will spend the next couple of months on loan back at river plate and then he'll join with city in the summer. But, um, this is a really exciting player and, and one for the future for, for Argentina as well. And, um, I think Pep will just bring him to a new level, um, you know, assuming he can adjust to life in England quickly. But yeah, I think it's a really good signing. I'm personally looking forward to him starting with City simply so people can stop talking about City playing without a striker. <laughs> Like, you want the narrative to die. <laughs> I just want the narrative to end. Like, just <laughs> just get a striker up top so that we could stop hearing about about the false nine and whatever. Just like, uh, anyways. No, I he's a brilliant player. I think they've I think they've got him for an absolute bargain. Um, they paid like fifteen million pounds or something like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he spends the rest of the season on loan back at River Plate, but um. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's a great piece of business from City, and uh, you're used to seeing them kind of shell out, um, but here they've they've definitely gone and, and kind of identified, hey, this is the player that we want. Um, I'm hoping, unlike Ferran Torres, I'm hoping that City actually give Alvarez, like, the chance to be uh, a, a starter and be, like, in amongst the, the team and um develop into that maybe you know the next Sergio Aguero um right because they haven't been super patient in the past with these sorts of players I think Gabriel Jesus is a perfect example in terms of like people don't even call him a striker anymore that's how far he's fallen (laughs) off that's so true so I just hope well there's just so much competition as well yeah so yeah yeah it's I mean if he's going to be the player that I think a lot of people think he will be for Argentina and, and now for city, um, certainly he'll need to like stand up to that test and there's no better environment for him to be tested and pushed and, and become like that player. Um, but 
yeah, I just hope that they give him the opportunity because I think we've just seen we've seen these attackers kind of disappear into the into the void that is the <laughs> the bench like when when there's all these attacking options. True, 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 true. All right, next question comes from at Ramon Cole Harry, of course. Harry says, "I'm interested in the Newcastle experience." Thoughts on how they did. And then Harry says, better than I thought they would. Yeah. We have to talk Newcastle. We have to. <laughs> yeah. New, nouveau riche. Um, I think the, <laughs> <laughs> I think Harry, Harry's, uh, I love the way he's worded this because I am also interested in the Newcastle experience. Um, I like, I, it sounds I, like a vacation package. <laughs> like, Thomas Cook or whatever. Experience. Speaking of <laughs> speaking of Man City, like their old shirt sponsors, sponsors uh, <laughs> were a travel agency. Um, no, I so I I'll be honest. Like when this when this window started, I was extremely skeptical of the business mm-hmm. that Newcastle was doing because. I think the Kieran Trippier signing, like, I'm like, okay, they're taking an opportunity on a player who he's on a team that like he's won, you know, he's won the league in Spain and he's clearly not like thrilled with what's going on at the moment. And they're kind of adrift. <laughs> like they have, you know, so, okay, they take a punt, but it's a right back. It's not like, what are we really like? Are we gaining like a whole lot? You know, when I'm thinking Newcastle need a lot of points, I'm like, uh-huh. where's the goals? Like, we need the goal. <laughs> we need the goals. Um, so I go out and get Chris Wood. I'm not super high on Chris Wood. He's he's a double digit like goal scorer in a season, but he played like complete shit house football at Burnley for the last <laughs> however many years. I, I, I just he's expensive too. Yeah, they got they paid thirty what like twenty five million pounds. Yeah, that's. Yeah. So I think I think people know Newcastle have money and they're going to get like value for their players for Newcastle to go get them. This is okay. I, I know I've been a little all over the place to start to answer this question. <laughs> so have but, Newcastle. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels I like for those who for those who remember when City were bought by um by well what is now city football group but when they were initially acquired this sort of transfer window was like very commonplace in the like 2008 2009 like those early windows when they were spending a lot of money but they were ending up with like this weird amalgamation of like random englishmen with like these stars from from abroad and so their window kind of is that because it's like it's Chris Wood, it's Kieran Trippier, and then Bruno <laughs> Guimaraes from Leo. <laughs> like, like then they go out and splash the like you know the thirty five million pounds on a on a defensive midfielder <laughs> from France, um, and that's where that's where it's all just striking me as like okay, what is Eddie Howe? Like, what is his role in this and how much of this is being driven by him and how much of this is being driven by, like, the club? Um, Because I just don't know. 
what exactly they're going for with these signings. It's again, it's a little bit of Barcelona where I'm like, I see the signings. I see the quality it like in each of the players, but I don't necessarily see how it adds to what Newcastle are doing. Like right this second. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, the, the Bruno Gimmerich signing to me is really surprising given the, the level, the echelon of clubs that he was, uh, linked with other than Newcastle and that's not disrespect to Newcastle obviously they're a big club and now they're as you said Novo Reach um and so they've got this kind of money to play around with now but um that yeah I mean I think that does add immediate quality into the midfield but yeah Dan Byrne Chris Wood Matt Target on loan from Aston Villa having been you know swiftly replaced by Luca Dean yeah um yeah it's it's you wonder how this all fits I mean I guess I can kind of see like Kieran Trippier whipping crosses to Chris Wood. Sure. Like, I kind of see that. You know, protecting a back line that has been exposed time and time again. Dan Byrne adding a bit of quality and height. Like the guy is huge. He's also a Newcastle native. Yeah. So like in those ways, it makes sense. Can also play left back actually. Sure. Um, so I think you have to like drill down to see how this all works. And maybe that's the trick of this is I think we thought – or many people might have thought that Newcastle were going to go out and spend a you know a boatload on a striker or something, and mm-hmm. well, they kind of did. But I mean, on you know, yeah, like someone not quite at Mbappe level, but like a, a you know a real star. Yeah. Um, and maybe because we can't make super sense of it like on its face, there is a lot of like planning going on. To be fair to them, so no, I think actually... you know. To answer yeah. your question about how involved Eddie Howe is, I think probably a lot. Yeah. Um, because I don't think anyone in this ownership group are necessarily football people. So, right. <laughs> you know, and obviously, you know, they've got the sporting director there working on it as well. But, um, yeah, on, on the face, you're like, this is kind of random. But um, I think in a lot of ways it, it makes sense in an understated way. You kind of yeah. have to, like, really envision how the piece is going to work. But – you make a good point that they need points like now. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I think this window is very clearly indicative of the fact that they're not looking to, to go down and start really from scratch there. I think they do really want to survive Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then kick on from there, but we'll just have to see how it all works out. But um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting times uh, on Tyneside. Suffice it to say that I'm, um, just insanely prepared for Alan Sam Samaximan and Chris Wood attempting to link up and attack like <laughs> <laughs> two of probably the polar opposite attackers, like yeah. flair on one side and just like bullheaded, like get in the box, get on the penalty spot and just outleap the attacker. Like, I'm, I'm, whatever. Silk and steel. Maybe it'll work. Who knows? Silk and steel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, they've got a whole lot of different like types of player now. I will yeah. say that's the one kind of thing that I'm like, what are the tactics? But we'll see. And Bruno Gimarish is extremely high, highly rated. But let's see. You know, let's see how he competes in midfield with John Joe Shelby. Uh, well hey if if bruno's the one you know hanging back then john joe can get up and we know he's got a a banger of a shot he does yeah (laughs) no for sure (laughs) i'm it's it's an interesting project at newcastle and i think i think 
this summer will be really telling. Um, obviously, depending yeah. on depending on whether they go up or down, but um, right. but yeah, I think I think this summer will will t- will be more informative uh, of of what they're what they're trying to do. But um, our our next question came from at EPUSMNT one. Um, he asked. Talk about the interest interest that Brendan Aronson has been getting and where you guys think he fits in best. Been getting rumors from Milan, RB Leipzig, and Leeds. Mika, where do you yeah. th- where do you think Brendan Aronson is is destined? Well, I have to say, when I first heard the connection to Leeds, the link to Leeds, I was like, oh, that makes complete sense. Yeah, because Brendan Aronson is a press monster. I mean, he's so energetic so willing to work off the ball, um, you know, especially in those wide areas going up against some of the pacier players in the in the opposition. So, yeah, when I first heard the Leeds connection, it just, like, that made complete sense to me. And if, if Marcelo Bielsa personally wants him, I think that that's a, a testament to the kind of player and the, and the potential that he has. So I would like to see him there. On that same token, I think uh, Leipzig makes a lot of sense, too. A very similar style of play, a Red Bull style of play. He will, you know, know that well, obviously. So that's that's a natural next step. Um, we, I, you know, I think he might have to be convinced how he might be used under Domenico Tedesco, but that that makes perfect sense as well. Just kind of stay in that um, pipeline, if you will, the Red Bull mm-hmm. pipeline. Um, I I hadn't heard the M- Milan connection, so that's really interesting. I'm not sure that his style of play fits Stefano Pioli's. Milan necessarily they're they're a team that really like to keep possession and 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 kind of are a bit methodical in the way that they play um you know not not that they're like slow or anything but it might be a bit of a mismatch I think um but yeah. with that being said Serie A has been very kind to American players in the, in the recent history so that might not be the worst move in the world either and Stefano Pioli's a, a really good coach so any of those would would be fascinating. I think though, if Marcelo Bielsa wants you, you go play for for a local. Yeah, well, and it it seems like because obviously Leeds were trying to work on a move in 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 the winter, but um, they're continuing talks um, about a summer move. So it doesn't look like Leeds' interest is going away, um, even even despite failing to land them in this window. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think his, you mentioned just the, the work rate and obviously the energy, he's not the most like productive player in terms of, you know, he's not scoring loads of goals or, or, I mean, he has a decent amount of assists in the, in the Austria, Austrian Bundesliga, but, um, he's got five in, in 16, I think. Um, so he's not that guy. Like he's not he's not the type who's going to be scoring a load of goals or or getting it. But as part of that unit that Bielsa creates, and and as part of that um, that kind of like first line of defense um, in the press, he obviously adds a ton of value and um, in his link up like between between the lines. Um, so yeah, I. I I think he probably ends up at Leeds if they continue their interest into the summer and they're still in the Premier League come um <laughs> I think they're good but they're <laughs> as long as they're still in the in the Premier League then they'll I'm I'm pretty sure they'll land him um 
the only the only wild card is is Leipzig just because he's already at Salzburg and um once you're in the system I feel like it might be easier to move between but um but if Leeds make an offer I you know I I wouldn't be shocked if he if he ends up there in the summer right all right, so at Ramos5173 asked, Christian Eriksen, well, actually, he just stated, Christian Eriksen to Brentford seems like a great move and a heartwarming one. Do you agree, Phil? I love this move, like, for a number of reasons. I think, one, it's just awesome to see Christian Eriksen, like, he, I know he's been training with a number of clubs. He was training in Denmark, and then he has recently been training with Ajax. Um, so it's great to see him just back on the field, because I think we all, I mean, at least, uh, I mean, at least I do. I remember like watching that game. Um, yep. And just like all of the, obviously like emotions and different things that everybody who watched that game or was, you know, if they were at that game and all the players connected with that game, like a lot of stories came out of that. And, um, luckily like this is a, a positive story that we get to tell about, um, about, Christian's comeback I think him returning to England um feels it it feels like he gets kind of a chance because I know like his his Spurs career like he was flying at Spurs he was probably one of their best players and um kind of again like unceremoniously moved on to Inter where you know he wins wins the league uh with with Conte um and going to Brentford where there is a Danish, like a strong Danish connection. Um, Brentford have uh, like board members who are Danish and they have a connection with uh, Odense. No, I can't remember. Alborg. One of the, one of the big Danish, (laughs) like one of the big Danish clubs they have like a, they have like a feeder connection with, um, so a number of their a number of their players are actually Danish, um, and I think the most high profile one to move recently from Denmark, Anjeka from Mid from Midtjylland. Oh 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 yes okay yeah yeah okay the, he's Nigerian I think right yeah 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 okay. but like they signed signed him from um, from Midtjylland right. and Christian Eriksen having that connection and then um, being able to play under Thomas Frank as well I think it's great for the player, like a really good spot to land. And then Brentford need quality. Like they need, they, and I think having a veteran presence around the, around the dressing room, like will be really just really positive in terms of them seeing out the rest of this campaign and not, not going down. Um, Cause I think the goal has always been, you know, consolidation and, uh, yeah, if they can get a little bit of stability and quality out of Christian Eriksen, I know, you know, I don't think anyone's coming coming into this deal thinking he's going to be, you know, absolutely like bossing it every game, but um, to see him back playing professionally and then um, hopefully he can, you know, give give Brentford just a touch of class down the down the stretch and um, and they can they can survive. For sure, yeah. I I mean the Danish connection is obviously like that just jumps out at you as a, as a nice landing place for Christian, especially because the, the, you know, it was with his national team that, that 
tragedy struck right yeah so um i think it's nice that he's joining a place where he'll immediately feel comfortable again like you said he's coming back to london so that's always good um if he can rediscover his form i mean he'll be an immediate like upgrade and and a, a big piece of quality in that midfield for for brentford um so yeah i mean He's he's shown in the past in, in football league terms that he can come back from from adversity because that you know at one point for Antonio Conte he was pretty much shunned and and Conte didn't have a place for him and then all of a sudden he became integral um, and you know ended up winning the Scudetto so I really hope that it works out for Christian Eriksen um, and now I get to like enjoy him now that he doesn't play for you know Spurs but is back in the Premier League so <laughs> yeah but yeah. Um, Brentford is a is a really cool place for him. I'm glad they're giving him an an opportunity and that his career is not uh over, obviously. Yeah. Thomas Frank Thomas Frank also coached Christian Eriksen when he was like sixteen in the Denmark like oh, U U eighteens uh setup. So um So they're not strangers for sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a been quite a while uh since they've worked together but um they yeah. have that connection as well awesome so um now now mika we get we get to one of the big managerial moves of the window along with a couple of a couple of transfers uh as at goatfoot 21 grant sunberg on twitter he asked uh frank lampard and vandebeek loan to Everton and Delhi Alley to Everton. What do you what do you make of these moves, Mika? I guess Frank. We start with we we got to start with Frank. Got to start with Frank Lampard. Yeah. Um, Everton, Everton, Everton. They are such a strange club. Um, having an awful season on the pitch, obviously. So you know, you always figured that they were going to do something dramatic in the January transfer window. I did not think it was going to be to hire Frank Lampard, though. um um, me at my most cynical i think that this is another kind of like glamour signing from farhad mashiri as we know he likes names i think he thought he hit the jackpot with uh carlo ancelotti and then was you know ceremoniously called back to real madrid (laughs) but um (laughs) mashiri got hoed (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah frank uh, this is a a move that is like i said at my most cynical glamour signing but also like really like i don't know if this is the right fit for either of these parties and 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 it might be i don't know I'm, i'm genuinely saying i don't know because everton need results like right now they don't they could get pulled into a relegation fight i mean is it given the amount of money that they spend and 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 who they are is it likely statistically not not really like i think there are definitely players uh teams worse than them that will go down but still it's possible and you need and i think you need a steady pair of hands is frank lampard that i i don't think so <laughs> um no. you know I, I think he deserves credit for what he did at chelsea bringing in the youth and that you know that was his his remit and when it came time for Chelsea to, to then move on to actually winning the trophies, they got rid. Um, Derby County, I think he was okay. Like, I don't, I think they ended the season in the same place they started. So, you know, Wayne Rooney's doing a much better job given the circumstances actually. So, <laughs> well, yeah. And the club is like 
barely clinging on to existence now and Wayne exactly. Rooney's got getting a song out of him. Exactly. Yeah, and Rain and Wayne turned down the Everton job. So I think yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's there. I think there's a little bit something about this Everton job screams desperation because we saw that Portuguese fellow go on Sky Sports and like try to <laughs> advertise his services to Everton. So it's like, what's going on here? Like, I feel like people really want to prove themselves at Everton, not because they want to take Everton to the next level, but because they think that they can improve their their own image. And this, and you know, that's really cynical, but. It, it feels a little bit that way with Frank. I feel like he wants to, to you know, restore some, I don't know, some respect to, to his name because he, you know, it didn't end great at Chelsea. Um, but who knows? Maybe maybe it'll click. But um, I don't know. And as a, as a tactician, I've never been like overly impressed with him. Yeah. <laughs> and Everton really needs some organization right now. So I'm just a little, I'm just a bit skeptical of this one. But if it works out, then then great. Yeah, I I mean I think the reality is that you know, you can say whatever you want about the Benitez hire. I think everybody knew that it wasn't the right fit for a number of reasons. Um, but they played probably some of their best football in recent years, like in those opening like six or seven games under Benitez, they played like absolutely like fantastically. Um, I just, each of these appointments really since Ancelotti have, have all felt to an extent like glamor appointments um, or right. almost like, I don't know, just like taking the piss. <laughs> like it just, it just feels, it, well, it feels no, so strange. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> no, I, it, it just feels so strange. And I think similarly, and we can, we can talk about the signings themselves. Um, Frank Lampard, his appointment at Chelsea was very calculated, was a calculated move by Roman Abramovich to bridge the gap between the beginning and the end of their transfer embargo in terms of the fans expectations of the team. Like that was a calculated move. And I say Roman Abramovich, but like the Chelsea hierarchy, because I know he's not the only like decision maker at the higher levels. Um, Everton appointing Lampard now is like, it may work, but his track record doesn't suggest like there's nothing about what he's done that suggests like he's the guy to write the ship. He took over a right. very good Chelsea team and yes, he had to promote through some youth and like see things through, but he also didn't like, he didn't light the world on fire. Like they did fine <laughs> like that. Right. And that's, and maybe, maybe that's the thought. Like maybe Everton is looking for fine. Like maybe they're just looking to like climb out of whatever this funk they're in. And maybe Lampard is that guy to like, I don't know. Like, and I hate to say, I hate to throw this guy's name around cause he's been so good at West Ham, but <laughs> David Moyes, like <laughs> finishing eighth or whatever with Everton was like David Moyes best accomplishment or, you know, like that was like, the height that got him the United job. So maybe that is like, maybe that is what they're looking for. Like maybe they're just looking for a guy who can consistently keep them in the top half and just like 
compete at that level. Um, I don't know that like given, like you said, the outlay and the amount of money that's been spent and the, like some of the names that have come in, like you would expect that this team would be trying to compete at a higher level. They just aren't. Um, which I guess brings us to the transfers. The first of which that was announced was the signing on loan of Donnie van de Beek from Manchester United, obviously high profile signing from Ajax at United um, that just, he's never gotten any consistent game time at, at Manchester United. So what do you think of this move as it pertains to like how Everton's performed and what they need, I guess, in the team? I'm, I mean, for Donny van de Beek himself, I'm really happy for him that he's going to go somewhere where he will play um, and be an integral part of the team, because I think that's all he's ever really wanted to do to be fair to him. I mean, I, I do have questions about whether the, the league is an actual fit for him, but obviously if he can impress at Everton, then, you know, that'll kind of lay those fears. Um, and, you know, since the since James Rodriguez left and since Yulfie Sigurdsson has basically been suspended from the team due to legal issues, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, they, they do have a creative hole in the middle of the park, arguably, and, uh, you know, of that quality. Um, so I like the move for that reason. Um, and it's a loan. So, I mean, it's, it's hardly like a huge risk if it, if it goes pear shaped. Um, Deli Ali though is the one that I'm, I don't know. I mean, I know for sure Deli Ali needed a, a change of scenery and good. Cause if you, if Conte can't get a tune out of you, you got to go somewhere else. He's done that. <laughs> um, apparently for free, but with up to 30 million pounds in potential add-ons. So who knows if Spurs are going to make their money out of that, but that's the one that I'm less sure about is how he fits, but yeah. Yeah. yeah like you said, I think the Vandebeek move, I mean, I think a lot of people who saw Donny Vandebeek in that champions league campaign with Ajax and like how he had progressed as a player, you think, I think there are a lot of non Manchester United fans who were begging for him to go elsewhere and get some type of consistency to see if, he can be that player and to just like hopefully save or salvage like his development and kind of get it back on track. So for that reason, like I'm happy to see that he's out of United of the teams he was linked to though. And I know Jay Konecki is going to have an issue with this, but of the teams he was linked with, I would have much rather have seen him at palace. I, yeah. Like, I, I think so. Yeah. Just in terms of, uh, like, I don't know that it would have been a better fit necessarily, but the team isn't in total shambles. That's, <laughs> like, I think, like, the right. fact that Vieira is is getting good performances out of that team and the idea of him being able to link up with the likes of Eberé Eze and Wilf Zaha and, and Odson uh, Edward, like, that excited me, like, that prospect. Right. Him going to Everton... I think is, is fine. And I think he'll probably, I think he's going to be value added for, for Everton. It's just a matter of like, how down is this locker room right now? And can Lampard turn it around to the extent that Van de Beek is in like a good situation because he's clearly coming from a negative, at least in regards to him, a negative situation at United. And he's gone into what is a, 
probably a pretty like depressing (laughs) situation at Everton. Um, I'm hoping that him and, and Demery gray can kind of just like whatever link up and, and create some, some magic. Um, because as much as, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a Liverpool fan. I love seeing Everton struggle. It's, it gives me great joy, but the reality is like some of these players are, too good to be like struggling in the manner that they are. Um, my only hope for Everton is that regardless of what happens, if they turn it around, whatever, I just hope that Richarlison continues to struggle. That's my only, like, that's my only <laughs> ask the rest of the team. It, you know, it, I'm indifferent, but the, but as long as Richarlison continues to just do nothing, um, then I'll be good. I mean, I, I just lastly on this, I hope that Frank Lampard and Jurgen Klopp renew their, touchline spats and frank accuses him of giving it the big end giving it the big end yeah you win one you win one trophy and now you're giving it the big end um right before trent alexander arnold scores a scores a free kick so um yeah that it's a it's a weird and the delhi situation is just so strange and it's gonna be equally weird just seeing him in an everton uh kit i think I think Everton is kind of hoping that he just is Jesse Lingard for West Ham. (laughs) Like, I think that's kind of that, like that's kind of the vibe of the move is like, maybe if he goes elsewhere, he'll just be good. Like, cause Jesse Lingard did that last season for West Ham. Um, Will Delhi do it for, for Everton? I don't know. And if, if like the, there's been questions around his work rate, like since the, you know, all or nothing with Mourinho. So um, shocking trainer, apparently. So, yeah. So I don't know that that's going to pretend, you know, I don't know that that's going to necessarily come about if, if he's not really improving uh, like in training. So yeah, really, really kind of a weird move. And, another couple of big situations that Lampard has kind of given himself to manage around between Van de Beek being this like outcast at United and then, and Deli Alley like struggling very publicly at Spurs. Um, he's given himself like quite a job in, in getting them on side and, and getting them firing like immediately at, right. at Goodison. So yeah, really, really fascinating. Well, we've got one more question from at Jake Konecki. And Jake's coming through with the La Liga talk. Love it. Thank you, Jake. <laughs> Jake says, Brian Hill and Ilash Moriba to Valencia. Where do you think they play in the 4-4-2? And will there be any big impact from them? I mean, Brian Hill, what I think we talked about when he moved to Spurs. We were like, oh, man, this could be like, he could really like burst on the scene here. Um, and this could be a really good move for Spurs. And he... I remember him coming on like his first the first game with Spurs and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, like he's got he's got some some good stuff about him. Like Yeah. (laughs) And he just hasn't done I mean, he's made nine appearances in the Premier League, all from all as a substitute, and he played eighty six minutes over the last year. So it's like well, what do we even say about about Brian Heal? Like, and what is left of the player that left Sevilla 
last season. Um, right. So I think him going back to Spain is best for, for everyone. Um, and, and him in particular, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I mean, I guess in the four, four, two, I mean, he's, he's going to be wide. Um, like, I think yeah. we know that, um, yeah, I, d- I don't, I don't see any, any big, big changes from him, but it'll be super, super interesting to see how quickly he gets going, um, and how quickly he gets integrated into that, into that starting 11, which I mean, I think has been pretty consistent <laughs> because that's just like how, that's just how Bordelos rolls, like 11 players, it's like the same guys just go out there and do their thing. So it'll be interesting to see how quickly he'll integrates. But um, yeah, Elisha, I'm a, I'm a little more, I'm a little more intrigued by the, by that pickup though. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think this is a really obvious move actually, because there is a Daniel Voss size hole in the midfield now that, that yeah. he's left Valencia for Atletico de Madrid. Um, I don't know that it necessarily went swimmingly for Elijah at RB Leipzig. It just seems like when you go on loan to RB Leipzig, like many a player before him have not made an impact on loan. So I don't know what, what there is about that. But um, he comes back to Spain, obviously Barca Academy graduate, kind of famously fell out with Barca at the end there. Now back in Spain, both, you know, he and Brian Hill back in their, their home country. So maybe, maybe that'll spark both of these young players into life. And, um, I I like both of these these moves for for Valencia, but yeah, we'll we'll have to see how Pepe Bordalas intends to use them. I think, like I said, I think he'll he'll be the Daniel Vaz and allow Carlos Soler to stay wide and and play alongside someone more defensive like a like a Guillamon, um, and and then he'll play wide as well. So um, options there for Valencia if 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 Bordalas is feeling more uh, adventurous, <laughs> but they will learn the dark arts there as well. Both of these players. So Mariba Mariba as well. Like in addition to heel only making 86 minutes, uh, for, for Spurs on the field, um, uh, Mariba only had a hundred minutes at, uh, at RB Leipzig this season. Um, Sheesh. Yeah. 60 minutes in the champions league, 30 minutes in the Bundesliga and 10 minutes in the Pokal. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a really like rough <laughs> loan. Yeah. Um, and I do think you, you saying something about the, the Leipzig and just maybe the Red Bull kind of like experiment more generally. I feel like they kind of take punts on these players where, yeah, he's a, you know, he's a, a Barca product, 19 years old, like has a lot of like these positive attributes about him. Let's just like grab him. And if like, if he fits, then we've like snagged this, this like steal of a player. But if we, if he doesn't play or if he doesn't impress immediately, then there's like no pressure. Like they don't, cause they don't really care. Like you said, like they're, they're not really committed to this player. He's on loan. They have no like buy-in to like, develop him any further um and yeah in his case it i mean they basically he sat on the bench like all season um and yeah he was used in the last 10 minutes of a 3-0 win over Bochum and a 2-0 loss to Hoffenheim so like that's 
the Zero sum impact. of his <laughs> of his Bundesliga experience. Um, so I think simply coming back to an environment one, like coming back to Spain, perhaps like being a little bit more comfortable with that. Um, and with Voss moving on, having an obvious spot to compete for, that's like, I think really important because I think ultimately him, his story at Leipzig is that he never overtook like their primary guys in midfield and, now with this opportunity right. to replace Voss, like maybe that is, maybe that's the, the impetus he needs to like step up and, and become more of an impact player at the senior level. Cause we know that he was like highly regarded, um, at La Masia. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our listener questions. Uh, thanks again to everyone for sending them in. Um, some really good, some really good questions in there and some good discussion. I think the, um, the reality is like the transfer window is always so fascinating, but the, the great part is that we get to, we get to judge these things like over the course of the next, you know, five or six months. So, um, yeah, so this is, and ahead of a world cup year as well, um, you know, with the world cup coming this winter or whenever um i think the you know these moves always feel like a little bit more weighty because some of these players are trying to angle to make sure that they're in in contention for a a spot at the world cup and um so it'll be really interesting to see how some of these players handle uh handle their new moves but um but yeah thanks again to everyone for asking the questions and if you were listening and were like I would like to ask a question in a, in a, a following episode, then you can follow us on Twitter at HXC football. That's typically how we get the questions. Um, yeah. so, uh, so yeah, um, just head over there and you can interact. We are always, we're always looking to, to chat football. So give us a follow and, uh, and you'll, you'll see our, our asks for questions, uh, in the future. But, um, Mika, we've taken a little bit of a break, from our sounds of the season playlist, but I think it's, I think it's time to bring it back and add some tunes, um, to the sounds of the season. So, um, for those who are new to the show, um, uh, we have a playlist on Spotify. We are hardcore football after all, which is a little bit of a nod to our alternative music taste. Um, so at the end of each episode, me and Mika add a couple of tracks to our sounds of the season playlist, which you can find on Spotify, um, by searching sounds of the season and, uh, yeah, we had a couple of tracks, different stuff that we listened to. Um, and, uh, we try to normally tie it into some of the football that's been going on or the news or whatever. So Mika, uh, what, what have you got on deck for us, uh, on the sounds of the season this week? So I've been playing this band's music nonstop and it sucks because they don't really have like a full length. It's just like an EP and a couple singles, but this band called No Pressure, um, they are Parker Cannon's side project. So Parker Cannon, oh, yeah. um, the story so far. And it's like if the story so far and like Blink-182 had a baby, like it's just like <laughs> really fun pop punk. Love it. Uh, but with like Parker Cannon's really good vocals and, and, and lyrics. So the band's called No Pressure. They have a song called No Pressure. So that's what I'm adding first to the list. Um, it's a bit tongue-in-cheek. I think there's a lot of pressure on, yeah. <laughs> on some of these players who are, you know, 
at new clubs now, new managers. Frank, looking at you. Um, yeah, great song, great band. Another one that I've I've uh, picked is a song called "Fall from Grace" by Higher Power. A uh, little more on the nose for some of the people that have had shocking windows um, and are maybe <laughs> having a bit of shocking seasons. Um, I won't name names; y'all know who they are. But this band is is essentially like a grunge band, like in that exists in 2022. They're very interesting indeed. So I I recommend everyone take you know listen to the song if not the the rest of the band's work because they're really really quite unique in in this day and age i think and really just sound like something out of the 90s but like with like better audio (laughs) (laughs) so those are my two picks um what do you got i uh i i went a little bit back into the into the scene um for for my for my two picks um I uh my first my first song is by a band called Here I Come Falling who had one album that they put out that was like at the height of sort of uh I guess like post hardcore um with you know some like discordant discording guitars into like sung some sung parts a lot of scream parts like harsh raspy screams type thing um and uh i picked the song beast from the east because this is my dushan vlahovic uh <laughs> ode um hit the serbian the serbian striker uh the beast from the east off off to juve um and uh yeah i just i just love that song because it's uh it's like the closer to the album, which for anyone who listened to like scene music or like post hardcore, hardcore or metalcore, whatever, like in the in the mid to late 2000s, um, you know that the album closer was always like very unnecessarily dramatic, um, <laughs> like to tie things up. So, yeah, there's just a lot of like different build up and pauses and all kinds of stuff that just like make that song a lot of fun. Um, and like I said, just like extra dramatic. So, um, so yeah, that was first. And then second, I've, uh, song by a band called secrets, uh, who another, like just seen like post hardcore sort of band sung core, like, re- you know, really like catchy sung choruses, but like really, really heavy parts too. And um, their song Live Together, Die Alone, which is essentially just like a breakup song from a really bad relationship, which I guess like (laughs) inadvertently another Vlahovic like song. (laughs) Um, And uh, and yeah, there's uh, it's just one of those like good, bitter kind of like breakup songs where you're uh, whatever. There's just a lot of like angst and anger and it just like it feels quintessentially teenage to me, uh, in terms of like <laughs> taking me back to my like late teens, early twenties. Uh, so yeah. Um, just, uh, just a, a classic and another like fun mashi kind of, kind of song. So, um, so yeah, that, nice. that wraps up my, uh, my additions for this week. Excellent. One thing, let's sign off with this. Do you think, when the when we were young festival is legit or it's like a fire fest for people our age and everyone's gonna go out to vegas and get hoed <laughs> it so i'll be honest like it feels it feels like a scam and that's and i only say that because <laughs> i only say that because they keep adding days and i'm like 
what are the negotiations like? Like there's these hundred acts or whatever, like these, this huge amount of bands. And like, how are you just adding days to this festival that ostensibly with someone signed on, this is going to be a one day thing. And like, suddenly they're just like, yep, it's four days now. Like it's going to be soon. It's just going to be this whole, like this whole thing. And the band will be like, no, we said one, we said we're doing one show. Like I'm not playing fucking four days out in Vegas residency yeah (laughs) well i've heard some people say (laughs) when we were young at the mgm grand like (laughs) spring break on lock like (laughs) that's my spring oh my god yeah like i look at the lineup i'm like how did you get all these bands on one fucking bill um i've read and maybe it's a conspiracy theory, I don't know, but that people are like, oh, this was always the plan. They just only announced one day to gauge interest, but they always had, like, these other days in reserve. Sure. So maybe. Yeah. Like, but it's, like, Live Nation is, like, doing this, right? And they're, like, a, quote, reputable. Yeah. Like, after what happened with, like, uh, what's his name? Astroworld and Astroworld, Travis Scott. Like, yeah. you really cannot have another fuck up. Like, you really can't. This is, um, yeah. I mean, like, everything is riding on this for Live Nation. <laughs> this is their, like... <laughs> so I didn't buy tickets because I was like, I don't want to get, like, Fire Festival. Let me see yeah. what other people do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I. But that lineup is, like, chef's kiss. It's, a, it's great. <laughs> I, it's one of those things, though, where I'm like, I'm like, am I going to spend... Like, would I end up just sitting at one stage and watching, like, all of those bands? Or, like, Mm -hmm. in Bouncing Around, am I going to miss, like, some stuff that I really want to see? Whatever. It takes me back. like, too good. Yeah. That's what, like, (laughs) I think that was the beauty of Warp Tour was, like, they had such a good mix of stuff, like, that you just, like, you're like, nope, okay, I'm not, I'm not, like, doing that. So I, I can carefully... Cor- you know i can curate my experience i think here like you're just gonna end up at the end of the day and be like oh fuck like i i i saw some awesome bands and in the meantime i missed out on everything <laughs> like because <laughs> i just can't be everywhere at once so i feel like everybody's just gonna leave it like disappointed but yeah i i guess that was the thing that was striking me was just like how how did they get all these acts and then how are they just like announcing that they're extending or expanding or whatever? And it's like, okay, did you like have a conference call with a thousand fucking people (laughs) to negotiate the fact that this shit's going to now last a month or whatever in Vegas? So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's wild like hopefully they like live stream the bitch or something like i might actually pay for that (laughs) yeah yeah but yeah if you end up going to when we were young report back to us yes i want to (laughs) know send us the pictures of the styrofoam tray with fucking a piece of white bread and cheese (laughs) white bread and cheese (laughs) oh my god oh yeah Good times. Had to get your take on that. <laughs> no, yeah, that's it's a good call and a good way to good way to close things out uh, for this week. So, um, yeah, like I said at the top of the show, if you guys uh, if you guys enjoyed the episode, um, please check us out on your favorite podcast platform. Hit subscribe, um, and if the the platform allows to you to leave a, a rating or a review, if you would, that would be awesome. Um, and then follow us on Twitter at HXC football. Um, we'll be back pretty 
pretty soon, I think, to chat now that the leagues are back. Um, so we'll probably be back to talk about AFCON, AFCON uh, conclusion. And then uh, with the leagues returning this weekend, um, there will be plenty plenty of results to talk about um, next week. So uh, keep an eye out for that. And yeah, until next time, guys, uh, whatever. When we were, when we were young fest, rock on. 